All right, and welcome to episode 51 of Etc. Etc. I'm your host, Aug Stone. Lots of excitement here. If you're familiar with my absurdist comedy act, Young Southpaw, I'm releasing the first single on Tuesday, July 27th, so in just a couple days. And the awesome website, The Quietest, have premiered the video, which you can watch now, so head on over to thequietest.com. The song is called Humpty Dumpty in HD, which leads to a crazy deep dive on the nursery rhyme and a whole lot of confusion as I jump from minor threat to digital underground to John Cleese making an appearance on the Avengers TV show to Rodney Dangerfield and back to school and a whole lot more. Bobby Barry, who was in the puppets, did the music, and I think it's really awesome. So here's the first minute of it for you now. So yeah, who is this cat, Humpty Dumpty? Why is he portrayed as an egg, you know? Because it's easy to break. But that doesn't even make any sense. I mean, why would, why would horses be trying to put an egg back together in the first place? Horses don't even lay eggs. The closest you come is like, like a platypus, maybe? And that's a semi-aquatic creature with a duck bill. Not very close at all. And you assume an egg breaks. There's like so many little cracks and whatnot. You can't be putting it back together. I mean, trying to get all that yolk and all the other stuff back inside, you know? Just crazy. And why was he so important to the king? I mean, what type of kings are giving eggs vital roles in their ruling of the realms? If you like that, there's six and a half more minutes to listen to. It'll be out on July 27th on all platforms except for Spotify. And do head over to The Quietest to check out the video. Joe Bevan from the excellent London band Desperate Journalist co-stars in it along with me. In other news, more cool bookshops keep ordering my Nick Cave's Bar memoir. The book I released earlier this year about the time a complete stranger told me that Nick Cave owned a bar in Berlin. And without doing any further research whatsoever, my best friend and I flew from Boston to Germany to find it. North Shear Books in Manchester, Vermont, a shop I like a lot, has it in stock now as well as Skylight Books in Hollywood, another awesome store, and Newberry Comics in the Boston area, and Larry's Corner in Stockholm, Sweden. There's a complete list of where it's available around the world on my website, augstone.com. And of course, you can order it anywhere online. And today's guest, Mike Carlin, is an author and comedian, and he also hosts the Uncorking a Story podcast and was kind enough to have me on his show twice now. He's got a new book out, The Ruin of Souls. I first met Mike, I think it was his first time ever doing stand-up in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And I was doing a young Southpaw set full of 80s references. And Mike actually emailed me the next day to tell me how much he enjoyed it. And that was great because at the time, Southpaw was just getting like a lot of blank stares. So yeah, it was cool to have him on the show and talk about his love of 80s pop culture and his writing. So let's get to it. 
All right. We're here today with author and comedian Mike Carlin. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Nice to see you all. You too. You too. It's, it's been a while since we've seen each other in person. Well, yeah, it's been. Uh, I mean, there's something that happened last year. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, I've seen some news clips. Yeah, I thought it was fake news at first, but then, um, you know, turns out I was wrong. There was a there was an actual pandemic. So where we couldn't do anything for a year and a half. No, it's funny. I'm I'm actually going on stage for the first time in 17 months um, Thursday night. Wow. Thursday night. Months. I know it's I don't even know if I'm going to remember how to hold a microphone like I'm just like <laughs> just. It's like the first time I went to a restaurant after after, you know, being vaccinated, I actually, I looked at the waitress and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm like what? She's like, well, th th this has a list of items on it and you can just tell me what you want to eat. And I'm like, and and you bring it to me and I don't have to cook it or do dishes. I'm like, Sounds amazing. I'm like, why weren't we doing this before? But yeah, so hopefully I can figure out how to uh, make people laugh again and or attempt to make people laugh again. I, I don't want to be presumptuous. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want to do that. Well, the, the show will be coming out on Monday, so it'll be after the fact. But uh, what's the what's the show on Thursday? The show on Thursday, it's a uh, it's sort of best of Connecticut showcase being put on in Norwalk um, by the Unhinged Comedy uh, crew. Uh, Bo McDowell, Cody Marino, Nick Scopoletti. Nice, and nice. Uh, yeah, they, they've been doing some shows there, um, some professional shows in Norwalk at a place called BJ Ryan's. Uh, they've got a great upper room for for comedy. Food's food's good. Drinks are, you know, if, if that's your scene, drinks are fine, too. And uh, it's a nice, tight room. It's um, it's a good room for comedy. It's uh, I can't I can't wait to. Well, I can't wait to see if it's a good room for my comedy. <laughs> so <laughs> so you're, going up, you're going up cold like there's been no stage time in 17 months have you done any of the zoom mics or anything no no zoom mics um no open mics um nothing i am going completely cold um and it could be a complete disaster but that'll at least be fun for the other comics because that's really what they go for is to watch their friends and fellow comics fail and crash and burn so I, I found any time you go on stage could always be a complete disaster. You know, oh, like yeah. it's always just at risk. You never know. <laughs> Absolutely. Depending on it, like what, whatever the mood of the crowd is that night. I mean, I, I remember just going up to the, the sea grape, all those, you know, Monday nights in the summer of 2019. And uh, oh, God, it was fun. But every night, I mean, every time you go up there because that crowd, it was such a towny crowd, um, like just local drunk townspeople who were not there for comedy. No, no. <laughs> they were not. They were there to, I mean, we were competing with, with baseball games on mute. And I think the baseball games were often um, gaining more of their attention. Oh, yeah. That was tough. <laughs> but if you could break through in that room, if you could break through and make, you know, the, the, the guys at the bar laugh, then, you know, you knew that you had something with, with whatever bit you were, bit you were doing. So I, I kind of, I, I do, I do miss that place. It was, a, it was a fun place to, uh, and of course the Greg Alicious, you know, comic DJ, um, you know, bringing us up to, uh, you know, Van Halen and Motley Crue and, and, uh, Backstreet Boys for Scopoletti. Um, you know. obviously, <laughs> but yeah, no, I remember Greg playing unchained, like as my intro <sighs> music and everything about it just sort of came together. I was like, this is what I was meant to be doing. <laughs> it was, it was such a feeling of power. Oh yeah, no, no kidding. And what what better Van Halen song to come up to than you know that's I, that's top top five Van Halen songs for me. 
actually the the first question on my list I mean, before we get to your writing i wanted to deal with yeah the most important question of all what's sure what's your favorite van halen song <laughs> you know i i i it's like almost like picking like if you ask me like which one of my three children was my favorite i'd probably have an easier time but um i love mean streets i love the fair warning album i just love like his opening riff on that um i mean that just it just pierces and then then alex's drums just like coming in, man. I, I so I'm gonna go with Mean Streets. That's that's my all time favorite, and uh, which which would probably beg the question, Dave or Sammy or Gary. Um, I no, no. <laughs> I think I know I, my well. My answer is strong on that, but if, uh, if you have another answer, we, we, no. I mean, I I I like them all. I mean, I like oh. them all. I mean, I like I like Dave and I like Sammy. Gary didn't get a, a fair shake. I think he was great in Extreme. I've never um, heard that album. I mean, Van Halen three. Yeah, one of my favorite bands of all time it's just yeah. I, i've watched some of the live footage there's like a professionally shot australian show and the set list is awesome because they do like dance the night away and like a couple others that i you know wouldn't expect them to be playing but it's it was like watching a bizarro van halen because it was like the late 90s and just like their style of dress was just it was like looking into another world that didn't make any sense. Well, also the late nineties were just not the, the greatest time period for that type of music, you know, yeah. Soundgarden and Nirvana and in all the, the great alternative, I hate to use the word grunge, but it's descriptive. You know, all those bands really put, put the nail in the coffin of many, a a rock band. Um, and I think, well, look, Van Halen stood the test of time in that regard, but yeah, no, that's not the greatest Van Halen album. Um, but I, you know, I'll tell you what I look at. Dave is my favorite. Okay. I will say that Dave is my Ooh. favorite. <laughs> and I, I know you were probably nervous there, but I do like I mean, Sammy, but 5150, you know, and, and, oh, you eight one two. Those two albums are, are so good. Um, and Sammy, he's brought something to the band that, that, you know, was, was anything missing. He, he let, you know, cause he could play, I guess Dave, David Lee Roth played rhythm guitar, you know, on some tracks, but not live. Um, well, just on Ice Cream Man, he did his acoustic thing. That that was it, huh? That was yeah. that was. Just I mean, on if you have Eddie Van Halen, you. Yeah. You well, what do you? Band. Yeah, but but you know, Sammy allowed Dave to uh, not Dave allowed Eddie to to experiment, experiment a little bit more, maybe with keyboards that nobody wanted to hear. But um, well, I mean, yeah, I love Fifty One Fifty. I think that's yeah. a great record, but it is to me a completely different band. Different band. Different. It's different band. It's weird too how like the change of singer kind of made a change of musical style as well, yeah. which it makes sense that he wanted to explore more the keyboards and those are great songs, but it's, it's, I've always found that odd. Yeah. But I wanted to loop back. As you said, mean streets, I think the greatest rock song of all time is unchanged. So here we're sitting with first track side, a of uh, fair warning, first track side B of fair warning. That's right. And I've been spending the morning actually, because I think, I think you had mentioned how much you love mean streets to me before. I Wondering is fair warning like objectively their best album and like it's hard because i have so much personal experience with like 1984 was you know when i was growing up like made me fall in love with music and get really excited and i spent a long time this morning debating this question <laughs> i want to hear your thoughts on it. i you know so 1984 was the first so i was 10 in 1984 um it was one of the first cassettes i was i was given for my birthday so, I mean, that holds a very special place in my heart. I will argue that 
side B of that album was better than side A, but side A was the one that had all most of the singles on it, right? So Jump yeah. was obviously the big one. Um, but House of Pain, man. Oh God, I love that song. House of Pain on, on the second side of uh oh, yeah. I know that Greg Delicious oh. is a big fan as well. That song is he, just, it's just so heavy. It just reminds me of like, you know, their earlier their earlier stuff that was a little bit less keyboardy and, and poppy. Um yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I, I think for me, Fair Warning is my favorite album because I, I mean I love Van Halen one. Van Halen two was good. Um, women and children first, I thought was great. Um, but there was something about fair warning that, um, that really just, uh, stood out diver down. I mean, I got, I mean, all of those, all those first five albums or four albums were, were just all good, but yeah, I, I do think fair warning is, is the, at the, at the top of that, at the top of that list. I'm going to have to spend a lot more time on this question. I think, <laughs> I think 1984 <laughs> barely nudges it for me. Well, just cause I mean, I love Panama. Panama would be my second favorite song. And then like Drop Dead Legs, I always thought was such a killer. Tune. That's that's a great song. I mean, for that's a great guitar song. You know, yeah. it's a great the tempo, the tempo of it. Um, yeah, no, that's a, you know, it's it's tough, but but I'm still I'm still sticking with fair warning. I I you know I support you. <laughs> sticking with fair warning. It was too yeah, like jump because I, I have a, a negative reaction whenever I hear the song jump. I don't know why. I, really? I just I just don't like the song. You know, and I wow. hate to say it because it is an iconic song. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, my friend RJ Sala at at a talent show playing it on his, you know, his DX7 or whatever it is he had in a, in high school. Um, and I, I remember that clearly, but I don't know. I just didn't love that song. But Hot for Teacher, mm. love. I love the drums. I mean, the drums... I mean, you can't deny those drums. Everything about that song just kicks ass. <laughs> you can't deny the drums. And of course, like the lecherous video too is uh, is burned in my retinas. You know, little girl from Cherry Lawn. How can you be so bold? How did you know that golden rule? How did you know that golden rule? That I brought my pencil. I mean, great video. I mean, but here's the other thing. Like golden age of videos. I mean, that's up there, right? There's no yeah. videos from 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 what I can tell from fair warning. I mean, maybe there's like a live video. There's the live but. ones. Yeah. But no, but when they made videos, Roth made sure these videos were just his vision, I guess. Cause like going through his solo stuff, like California girls, yep. just a gigolo. Those were just, they were just so entertaining. It's funny. I was listening to, um, gosh, I was listening. I was, I was on a long run the other day and I was listening and I was usually listen to podcasts uh, when I'm on long runs. And for I don't know what happened, but at, from at one moment I was listening to Adam Carolla, and then something happened on my on my phone, and next thing I know, David Lee Roth comes on, uh, a single that came out last year, somewhere over the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Have you heard that? I haven't. No. Okay, you so you should go to YouTube or iTunes wherever you get music, and just type in David Lee Roth somewhere over the Rainbow Bar and Grill. It's actually just a really catchy song. It's actually, it's quite good, but he released it last year as a tribute after Eddie Van Halen oh, wow. passed away. I can see his this. friend. I'll, I'll be checking that out as soon as we hang up. <laughs> it's, it's a good one. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it, it's an earworm too. Like it'll, it'll stick in your ear. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a little, uh, little retro reminiscent song about, uh, kind of coming of age in the, in the band Van Halen. <laughs> Which just sounds like an amazing ride. 
Yeah, come on. I did you listen to him? He was on uh David Lee Roth was on Rogan's podcast uh maybe about a month or so ago. Um really? on the Joe and it's well, it's like three hours long. Yeah, that's and it's it's it. a tough it's a tough one to get through <laughs> because you know Dave goes off on a couple of tangents. But uh but it's 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 also worth uh, worth a listen. So well, his Mark Marin interview I just found fascinating. One of the best, one of the yeah. best Marin <laughs> interviews I've ever heard. Um, yeah. like Marin was able to like reel him in probably more so than anyone else I'd ever heard. <laughs> so yes, your new book, the ruin of souls. Oh, it sounds like a scary title. I was going to say, it sounds like an iron maiden album. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that would be the book of souls. Actually, speaking right? of speaking of new music, have you heard their new song? I have. And I saw, did you see the cover art yesterday? Yeah. The cover art's awesome. Oh my goodness! It's the, the, the coolest awesome. thing I've ever seen. I was so excited all day. I know I am. I'm so pumped for a new Maiden album. But that yeah. song and the video that accompanies it, the animation, that was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> my friend sent it to me, and I'm like, this can't be good. And like within like a minute, I'm hooked. I'm like, oh my god, this is like I'm transported back to like, you know, Power Slave and Peace of Mind. I'm like, this is that good. Although, you know, I I, I played it for the I sent it to the Gregalicious, and he's like. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Johnny Lang on guitar or something like that. Because it's you know it's a different. It's not like um, it was. I don't know, maybe it's more rhythmic than usual. I don't know. It was a bit more because I only listened to it once yesterday. But it was a bit more like seventies rock than more like metal. I thought. Yeah, yeah, but I like that. And I, I remember reading something a couple of years ago that they were going to be experimenting with a with some different sounds. So. Um, Hey, look, it's uh, you gotta, you gotta stay fresh. And, and I, I, I really like that. I really like that single. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the record. Yeah. But yeah, no, the ruin of souls, it actually comes from, um, <laughs> it comes from, you know, it's, it's one of these things where I had the title and then I had to figure out what the story was going to be. But, um, there is a, a prayer called the prayer to St. Michael. And, uh, at the, you know, it, it, it references, you know, you know, uh, the ruin of souls, like uh, demon, not demons, but I'm now like, of course, now that I have to remember it, like I, I can't, but it's like, uh, it ends with, you know, protect us from those who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. I'm like, wow, the ruin of souls. That's, that's some pretty heavy stuff right there. I'm like, I think I could, I think I could work with that. So I started to, um, to kind of craft a story around it. Then of course the character's name has to be Michael because it comes from the prayer of St. Michael. And that, that's not a nod to me. Um, it was more of a nod to, uh, I was no. definitely going to ask about that. <laughs> yeah, definitely a nod to the source material. Although there is a, a little bit of me in that character because he's a, um, you know, he's in his mid forties. He's, uh, you know, uh, trying to reinvent himself after a period of, uh, not a period of, uh, let's say, call it a rough patch. I mean, he, he loses his son um, to suicide. His marriage falls apart as a result of it. He kind of learned that there was not really that much in the marriage anyway, um, because he had, he had been a workaholic. He was a previous tech entrepreneur, and um, I uh, I'm like, okay, so so this guy needs to reinvent himself. So he goes to he he takes all the money he made in the tech industry, socks it away, and decides to get a PhD in clinical psychology as a way of kind of maybe trying to, to deal with some of these inner demons. And, um, and the, the event that sets the story in motion is his advisor, his uh, uh, PhD um, dissertation advisor goes missing. And now he's on a quest to, to find uh, this man named uh, Sam. 
Yes, and Sam is a twin, and you are a twin as well. So that is uh, that is true. That there is true. There seems to be a but, lot of um, biographical information that I wasn't sure how much you were referencing in this. Yeah, that was um, that would that was not a nod to to my um, to, to my brother at all. It was more. It was an an integral part of the story because Sam was a, a, a Holocaust survivor, and he was part of. Uh, twin studies that were being done in, in a concentration camp and his brother, um, didn't, didn't make it. And that was an important, it was an important aspect of his character. Yeah. I was going to ask, I mean, being a twin yourself, did you like grow up knowing that information? Like that's, uh, I mean, that's heavy, like (laughs) put it mildly. Knowing which information, like that they experimented on twins. I, you know, I, I, I didn't know. I knew it uh, when I was in college because, as as a psychology student, we we learned about twin studies, um, and you know, often, I mean, many times they weren't nefarious. I mean, certainly the Nazis were a little bit nefarious. Uh, that's putting it mildly, but you know, they, there had been twin studies done to to uncover you know impact of nurture versus nature, and if you take two you know identical twins and and put them in separate environments. So, so psychologists would study, you know, twins who were adopted into different homes just to see how similar or different they were as they grew up in life. Um, so I, I knew twin studies from that. And then as, as part of researching this book, um, I got into some darker territory with, yeah. uh, with twin studies. Well, to keep it away from that dark territory, what's your twin brother's favorite Van Halen song? Oh boy. Uh, I, you know, his name is Jimmy. So oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go with top Jimmy on that one. Perfect. <laughs> he was, you know, it's funny. Jim wasn't as much of a, a hard rocker as I was. Like I, I enjoyed, you know, actually when I was younger, I used to love like old, old hip hop music. So I think Houdini escape was the first tape I ever bought oh, with wow. my own money. And I used the term tape. Like I realized half the audience may not understand what that is, but, um, he was, he was like, it's so funny. We are so different in terms of personality. He was into like Steve Winwood and Phil Collins, and not that that these are bad musicians, but it's just odd for somebody who's like eleven or twelve to be <laughs> listening to Back in the High Life. You know, it's yeah. like, I'm like banging my head to Anthrax Among the Living, and, and he's like, you know, Susu Studio. <laughs> so, but let's go with Top Jimmy on that one, just because it's his name, and he does yeah. cook and he does swing. You know, he is the king. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> names wise uh how pleased were you when you came up with dr anton levy because that's that's pretty and <laughs> so i again that was very you know there was a lot of intent behind that one because you know i needed a villain and um uh what what better person to and and, and again remember this this whole thing about you know being rooted in in this idea of the prayer to saint michael and saint michael is the one who who you know in 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 Catholicism or Christianity is credited with, with, um, taking Satan out of heaven and thrusting him into hell. So how could you not use Anton uh, or, or derivative of Anton LaVey, uh, as, as, as a, um, sort of antagonist in the story. So that one was definitely an, an inspired, uh, and very calculated decision to use that name. Nice. Yeah. I, I had a good smile when I came across that the first time. That's it's funny. My editor said it too. She's she's like, um, hey, is this? And, and she's like, I think I know the answer to this question, but 
you know, do you know who Anton LaVey is? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I do. And and I kind of borrowed his uh, name a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, somewhat different, but yeah. And like you reference the Dudley Moore film, Arthur and Columbo comes up a few times early on. You, you really like these 80s pop culture. Oh man. It's like, those are little Easter eggs that I put in for people. Um, certainly in, in, my, or I should say our age group. I know you are a little bit younger than me on. Um, but I can't, I can't, first of all, I can't help a Columbo reference. Like I, I had a, a Columbo reference in slippery people, um, which was a novel that came out before the ruin of souls. And, um, in, in my first, my first book return to Casa Grande is just chock full of eighties, um, nostalgia because, well, first of all, it's the time period I grew up in, but also that story centered around, an actor who was big in the eighties and he was trying to kind of reclaim his, his, um, when I reclaim his rediscover or re reestablish himself on the screen in, in an era of, um, you know, reality TV. And, uh, but so, I mean, there's, I mean, there's chips references in there. There's emergency references in there. I mean, there's, there's a lot. Um, but yeah, so I, I, um, I, I always put, a fair amount of pop culture references in, in my work as almost like a little signature of sorts. Um, because, uh, it, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just, I, I can't help it. Like if, if, if there was ever like a jeopardy, like pop culture edition, I, I could go on and, and probably dominate. Like I, for some reason, I, I retain all of these useless facts in my head from from pop culture and specifically 80s pop culture which is why you appreciate young southpaw <laughs> oh you did, the first time i saw young southpaw in bridgeport i turned to my brother because brother jimmy was with me that night and i said that's the guy <laughs> i said this is the best because it was it was so different from all of the you know, all the material that had been seen including my own up until that point of the night you know, yeah. it was not about, you know, um, it was, it was, it was, it just hit the mark. It, it and it just, uh, I, I love young South. I, to this day, I will defend young South to this day. Well, thank you. It's, it's always nice when people get the reference. Yeah, that's the trick though, that, cause it is, it is a, a narrow, you know, yeah. some, somebody in their twenties is not going to get, you know, not everyone remembers anthrax is among the living, which you just brought up a minute or so ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I certainly do. Follow me or die. I think like um, in all the fucks I cannot give, which was the other one of yours I've read. There was a there's a really good Tesla reference. Is that the one I remember? Oh my gosh! Um, now this is going back, but uh, geez, what, what do you remember? What the reference was? I, I, I might need a memory jog. Modern day cowboy. Yes, could have been. Could have been like going to a board meeting or something. Oh yeah, well he there was a, I know there was a scene where he was getting um he had to negotiate his his, his exit package or something. Yeah. Um and that 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 could have been in there but uh yeah there was a uh, gosh I, that that book that book has a few references. There's a there's yeah. a good Magnum PI reference in there. Nice. Um because he's in Hawaii and he, and he comes across a Ferrari so why not do a little Magnum reference but well, tell me yeah. about that book because you seem to have pushed that. I mean, you got the audiobook version, which is great. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, that, so I wrote that book. I um, so there was a, f- a couple of parallels to my real life in that book. Not not all of it, but so in um, 
in December of 2016, I was working for a company. Um, now, if you remember uh, Kelly Carson, who's the, the protagonist of that story, um, was working for a company called Stall and Partners. Well, I happen to have worked for a company called Hall and Partners at the time. <laughs> and uh, three weeks before Christmas, um, I get a phone call. I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing. I'm, I was very productive at this at this company. I was I was um, a partner in the business. Um, that was my title, not necessarily a role, but my title was partner, is the most senior you can get uh, without you know being a managing partner or running an office. And um, the numbers, you know, in, in our division were down. My numbers were up, uh, which is why the following um, really confused me. I was let go. In oh. uh, I was also the oldest person in the department, so I think that that had something. I will allege that had something to do with it. <laughs> Um, and, uh, they needed, they needed to free up, um, um, some headcount, let's say. And, uh, so they start from the top and, um, I was like flabbergasted because I, I had been doing well, you know, I was, I was extremely busy. Like right before I got this phone call, I had finished interviewing, you know, a number of people for our, our biggest client. And, um, yeah, I was told that I was a lever that he had to pull. He's like, it's not personal. You're just a lever I had to pull. I'm like, well, that's a really shitty way of of, of letting somebody go. Yep. <laughs> you know, like you just turned me from a person to like an inanimate object. How um, could that not be personal? <laughs> so, so I, I, um, yeah, humor being like sort of the absence of fear or like an antidote to fear. I'm like, I think I need to write something. I mean, I had I had planned on writing another book. I didn't know what it was going to be. I had a few ideas. And I'm like, I think I need to write a book, like a, a real escapist novel. And I wanted to focus it on a guy who was, you know, a little down and out and kind of pushed around and beat up a little bit. So I dreamt up this character and he, in the, the opening pages of the book, gets uh, fired from his job um, over the telephone and um, decides uh, with, the, um, with the help of somebody he had just met in, a, in an airport lounge, that their flight to New York is canceled. And she's like, um, they're going to let us fly anywhere. Um, so let's go to Hawaii. And he, he goes with a stranger to Hawaii and has this life-changing experience and really kind of discovers who he is. Um, uh, because he, you know, up until that point, he was kind of beaten up. He, he was with a, a wife who didn't really love him uh, because she was in a relationship with another woman. Um, and, a, and, you know, he a had boss. a lot of fun in the process of uh, he did have a fair life. amount of fun in the process. Uh, he overdid it on edibles. Unfortunately, he didn't oh, yeah. know that he didn't know he was eating, um, you know, THC gummy bears on a flight from uh, Hawaii to New York. But he learned the hard way. And and comedy ensues, <laughs> but yeah, that's a that book holds a, a a very soft spot in my heart because it was you know in many ways a Ramona Cleft type type novel. Not that my wife is a lesbian um, or anything like that, uh, because that was you know a key plot point. But hmm. only because you know he kind of goes through this traumatic experience, but really comes out of it being you know better uh, for it. And uh, yeah. with the help of with the help of somebody who kind of brings out his inner Superman. So that was the other funny thing. Like she refused to call him Kelly. She only called him Clark, you know, referencing Clark Kent. And then once he becomes Superman, um, she refers to him differently. Nice. And then the audiobook version, um, which I was listening to. Tell me about that. 
Yeah. So I, I wanted to do, I, so I, I had done an audio book for return to Costa Grande and it really didn't sell anything. And, and basically I, you know, you can go on to something called the ACX or the audio content exchange. I think it's, it's an Amazon company and you can, you can, um, kind of, uh, uh, interview or or um, audition rather different um, different voice talent and that voice talent will strike deals with you like okay either give me a flat fee or we'll do a royalty share so I did a royalty share on that and I feel bad for the guy because <laughs> he, he, he probably didn't make he didn't do so well on that royalty share but um, the second time around I'm like okay well well you know a lot of the guys I know don't read books, right? But they will listen to audiobooks. And this is kind of a male, you know, not saying that this is that women wouldn't like this book. I've had many positive reviews from female readers, but it's kind of a male book. There's a lot of male, there's a lot of guy humor in it. I'm like, I really want to do an audiobook for this because I think it'll reach my target market better. And I said, but I, I think I need to like shell out some cash to actually pay for a talented, you know, voiceover artist and engineer for this because um, it's got to sound better than you know Return to Casa Grande did. So I was, I'm a, I'm a big fan of um, the Adam Carolla show and his voiceover guy Mike Dawson. He has the voice that I knew, you know, needed to. To, to be in the book. Like he had to be the guy. So I went on to the audio content exchange. Sure enough, he's there listed as, you know, um, a, a producer, engineer and, and voiceover talent. And I sent him a note, struck a deal and, and he did the book and he just, he did such a great job with it. I'm, I'm very pleased. Um, yeah. He was totally the right guy for that. Yeah. It was, it was like without a doubt. And I, I put a free sample of, I put the, the first chapter on my website for, for, for free for people to listen to and um cool and hopefully you know they like it and, and buy the book as a result but man he he I, nothing but positive feedback from from uh, about mike dawson's contribution to the all the yeah. fucks uh, universe you mentioned guys not being big readers are you a big reader yourself yeah no i am a big reader i think any author has to be uh, a reader because if you're not it was funny. I was, I was, I was talking to an author the other day um, and, and she was coaching, you know, another author who said, said to her, like, this is the best thing you're ever going to read. And, and she said, well, tell me who are your influences? And he says, well, I don't take the time to read. And she's like, right then and there, I knew this was not going to be the best thing I ever read. And it, I think it's true. You have to be a reader to, to be a good writer. I, I, I do believe that. Um, and I'm a big reader. I mean, ever since I was, you know, young, um, I remember just being in like, you know, when I was learning how to read in kindergarten, I was going through books faster than, than other yeah. kids. When I was in grammar school, I remember, you know, being sitting at another table, another table of kids because I was a little bit more advanced in reading. Now I wish I was more advanced in math because then I could have probably gotten a job in finance and made a whole bunch of money. But um, not the case. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I love reading. I love I love reading. I, I used to read like a book a week when I was commuting into New York um, oh, wow. for a job. I would I would spend my time just just reading, you know, uh, you know whatever whatever it is I was interested in at, at the time. Um, what are some but, of your favorite books? Oh boy, uh, favorite books I, I'd have a hard time with. I could talk about favorite authors. Um, I love uh, Carl Hyacin, who is a uh, he's a, a newspaper guy out of uh, out of Florida, um, my my home state. 
but he's uh, also a novelist. I mean, I, I don't even remember how many novels I've read of his, but he's got at least 20 out. And it's just this, this, he's so funny. Like he, he'll take current events and weave a story around them. But with such, with such humor, it's, I, I, I have a hard time, you know, putting him in a box because it's um, like, they're, they're usually mysteries, but they're so damn funny. Like, it's like, they're very quirky. His characters are like extremely colorful. So I love, I love Carl Heisen. Um, I love Daniel Silva. I started reading his, his stuff from his first was the unlikely spy, which was a world war two kind of espionage novel. And then he, he went into to writing um, this Gabriel Allen series, which I think is up to 20, at least 20 books now. Um, so I always look forward to, to his releases. Uh, God, who else? Like Jeff Corey. Like I, I got hooked on all these like, stupid Knights Templar books years ago. Um, so he's 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 up there. Um, there. There's a lot. Not Jeff Curry. I think Raymond Curry. Jeff Curry was a guy who used to work with at MasterCard and like in customer service. <laughs> One of the Currys. Like? <laughs> His books are great. It's like, yes, well, you know, complaints are up 42% using the find a card feature on uh, MasterCard's website. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I love, I love reading and I love, I love, I love, um, like women authors too. Like, I, like Tess Gerritsen is one of my favorites. Oof. She's, um, she's fantastic. She, she did the whole Rizzoli and Isle series of, uh, of books, which was made into, um, a TV show. But, uh, if you like a good medical thriller, Tess Gerritsen is, uh, she's where it's at, man. All right. And how did you get into writing yourself? Well, I, um, I, when I was in college, we had to take a certain amount of what they call W courses, um, at the university of Connecticut, which, which meant writing courses. So the output, um, of your, of your work was all, was all writing. Right. So it wasn't, you, there was no like tests, but it was like papers and whatever. Um, and I found that I really enjoyed those courses, but I didn't really think too, too much of it. Um, because I never really considered myself a creative individual. I, I grew up with a very narrow perception and view of what creativity is, um, which, uh, which is unfortunate. I think we, we have to do a better job of, of instilling, um, you know, uh, the thought that everybody can be creative. Everybody is creative in different ways, but I had this like really narrow view. And when I, when I had entered my career and I started traveling, I used to, keep a travel blog because, you know, I would travel a few times a month and I would see the craziest stuff and it would keep me entertained just writing about it. You know, like I remember one time I, I, I went, I walked into my hotel room in um, Charlotte, North Carolina, and it smelled awful, you know? So I I wrote, I wrote this line. um, I think there was a sauerkraut convention here last week. Like it was just, and, and, and like, I would put this into like a little bit of a narrative and, and I'd throw it up on uh, a link to it on Facebook. And then people would just like comment on it. And it's like, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like crack, right? Like once somebody like gives you some positive feedback on something you've done, like you just want more. <laughs> so it's at least I do anyway, because I, I guess I have a constant need for validation, but um, I started, you know, I started, you know, this, this travel blog became popular um, and then people were encouraging me. They're like, "Hey, why don't you try and write? You're like, you're really funny. You know, why don't you try and write a novel? Because you know, if you wrote it, I'll read it. That kind of thing." 
So I'm like, eh, I, I don't have time for that. And, um, and then finally I just said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to do it. And, um, I started writing, I wrote two novels that didn't go anywhere. Like, and I'd be embarrassed to even read them right now, but my third one, uh, did, which was, which was Casa Grande. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. And there's been eight, right? There's been eight altogether and nine, actually there's been nine, but I, oh. I did write one under a pseudonym oh. uh, and I will not divulge what that is, but I was, <laughs> I, I was, let's just say I was chasing after that 50 shades money. Gotcha. <laughs> and, uh, but I, my, my name will not be associated with that, <laughs> with that novel. So what have you picked up along the way? Like learning about writing as you've done it's eight. Eight's a good number. Yeah, it is. Um, I, you know, so I guess what I picked up is that writing is it's it's almost like um, yes, it is an activity. It is you know it is something you have to do, but it's also a muscle, like that has to be exercised daily. So, you know, the the I guess one thing is just the importance of writing every day, writing something every day. You know, maybe it's not something else anybody will see, but it's journaling. It's it's a thought. It's um, maybe the seed of a, a new idea or a plot point or just a, a funny observation. But just like having that activity of, of doing it every day, I think is important. And then also, it just allowing yourself to be vulnerable, I think is is probably the biggest um, the biggest thing I've learned because writing. You know, it's it's very it's a very solitary thing. But yeah. once you once you share something you've written with somebody else, it, it requires a lot of vulnerability to um to, to do that and to accept what their reaction is to it, yeah. whether it's positive or negative. Um, I, I was talking to an author the other day, and we were talking about kind of how you know, all kids are kind of born creative. And then at some point in time, they stop painting, they stop putting on little shows for their parents, you know, and the friends after dinner, they stop singing. I mean, I certainly saw that with, with my three kids and, you know, we were trying to dig into, okay, well, what is it that, that prevents them from continuing on? And, and the answer we came up with was, well, it's, it's fear. It's fear about being vulnerable and, and, and having some criticism because, you know, with, with anything you create, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's, you know, words, um, people, you know, people are going to criticize you and people are not going to agree with your, your take on things. Um, I think, uh, you know, just go to Twitter and you'll realize that pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, you have to, you have to like overcome that and accept, you know, accept critical and be open to accepting critical feedback, um, and, 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 and working with it. Yeah, and there's so many stories of people I know who are really good artists in one way or another, and, and like, but something happened along the way when they were young that someone criticized their work and they just stopped because you know it's it, being self-conscious. It's it's hurtful and this is something you're, you know, you've put your soul into. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I I I call it like reverse Peter Panism. You know, it's like we at some point in time, like when we're really young. Um, we don't really care as much what other people think and we're a, a lot more carefree. And then as we socialize and as we mature, like something happens and, and the light goes out or dims. And um, I think it's a shame. Like I, I really do. Um, it, uh, it's, and I, you know, I, I look at my kids, it's like, I, you know, my, my daughter, Grace is such a talented artist. I mean, she paints and she draws and 
And she used to like, like just share us, share with us pictures of, of what she's drawing. And now if I catch her sketching at 19, I'll be like, Gracie, what are you drawing? And she'll just like cover it up. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, this is sad. This mm. is sad. Like you should be proud of not only be proud of what you do, but just, you know, share, don't keep it for yourself. Like share, she's got a gift. Uh, I want to see her share it. Yeah. And I, writing being a very solitary thing, like you said, there is a sort of distance between you and your audience because you can write something and no one can see it, um, whether you publish it or not. But you then decided you would take it to the stage, which is very uh, <laughs> immediate yeah. in terms of feedback. And I think I think that was um, what well, I, I had the first time I did. <laughs> first time I did stand up was um, I mean, I was always into stand up. Right. So as a kid, I, I you know, I know it's it's not um, maybe cool to invoke his name now. Uh, given given the recent past, but Bill Cosby's HBO special, I think it was called Bill Cosby himself. I had that thing memorized. Yeah. Um, Eddie Murphy, delirious, always being into stand up. And um, when I was in seventh grade, oh God, my friend Chris Hart, who uh, is my friend to this day. Um, convinces me for the talent show that he and I are going to do jokes and, um, and we should not have, this should not have happened. Um, we come out wearing white pants. <laughs> this is like my Miami vice era, right? Mirrored shades. Um, we were not the popular kids in school. I think that's pretty fair to say. So right then and there, it's like we're getting booed just by walking out. And then we're like telling jokes like from the back of Boys Life magazine and, you know, just like really bad jokes. And I just remember like like there was not one laugh, not even Ooh. not not even a sympathy laugh. Like I think I even heard my dad whispered my mother like this thing sucks. Um, <laughs> so and I'm like, OK, well, never doing that again. But I remember, you know, in um, January of 2019, I'm like, you know, screw it. I want to I want to try stand up. People always tell me I'm funny. Decided to write a couple of jokes down. So I did the open mic at at the Stress Factory in Bridgeport and um, bit by the bug. I mean, it was I think it was a good set, not a great set. And if I looked at it now, it's probably terrible. Um, but I remember it. It's like the first time having sex. Right. I remember it going really well. <laughs> and lasting a lot longer than it did. Um, but, uh, but I think I, but you're right. I mean, like when you write a book, it's, you know, you, you may not, you might not ever get feedback, you know, or, or it could take a year to, to get feedback from, from somebody you don't know in, in, in the, in, for, in the form of a review. But when you get up on stage and you throw a joke out there or an observation, you know, immediately whether or not, the thing is worth, you know, keeping in or leaving or, or, or reworking as the case may be. And I like it. I mean, I like that gratification, but I also like, like the nervous energy that comes with, with the whole thing, you know, right before you go on to when you're there. Um, yeah. you know, I like digging myself out of a hole sometimes. I think there's a little bit of fun there. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. It's, it's scary as, as hell, but I don't know. It's like, I don't jump out of airplanes. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of thrills in my life. <laughs> you know, I'm 46, about to be 47 with three kids. It's like, you know, so it's like, okay, this is, this is something that, uh, you know, brings me, it brings me some joy and happiness. Hope, hopefully it brings some smiles to other people. I mean, I, 
I kind of have this thing in my head where it's like, okay, well, if, if I truly am funny and, and I have a, a gift of making people laugh, like I want to share that gift and I want to bring some positivity to people's lives too. Like my, my whole approach to comedy isn't, you know, your, your standard, you know, sex and dick and fart and poop jokes. Like there, there's too many of those around. Um, I just like to, to share kind of some observations and maybe hyperbolize them a little bit, but, uh, but, you know, things that people can relate to. Um, so a, a bit more Ray Romano, let's say, than, uh, than, than Chris Rock, although that's not a diss on Chris Rock. He's one of my favorites. Yeah, me too. Oh, man, those, those first couple stand-up specials of his were just oh, phenomenal. The best. The best. I mean, a true lesson in, uh, in the art of the whole thing. Yeah. So The Ruin of Souls, it's out now. It's out now, so you can get it wherever books are sold. Um, I always tell people, though, if uh, uh, you know, if if they can go to an independent bookstore, if they don't have it in stock, they can order it for you or Bookshop.org. Um, yeah, I love is uh, yeah, they're they're fantastic. I mean, what they're doing for for the local independent bookstores is uh, is great. Um, so that's uh, but it's available there, um, Bookshop.org. Um, of course, it's at all all the big places as well. Um, because they uh, they are important, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's out there now. Was there anything else you wanted to say about it? I mean, we started talking, then we kind of got <laughs> oh no stuff. Uh, it's, the other stuff is probably more interesting. Um, <laughs> it's probably more interesting, but it does make for a great summer read, particularly if you like um, books that keep you guessing and that that throw a couple of major curveballs at you. So um, you know that's uh, that's what I'll say. But cool. uh, you could you could learn more at uh, mikecarlin.com. How's that? Sounds good. I was just going to ask where people can find you. And you also have a podcast of yourself going there. Right? Oh, that's right. The Uncorking Story podcast. Um, yeah, that uh, that that uh, I think we just crossed like 75 episodes. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been going. It's been going well. The um, I've been I've been working with um, these PR uh, PR people, publicists, I guess they're called. Um, you know, with Random House and and Penguin Viking, um, and this this person who found me, Kim from LA, who's a great publicist. Um, she's actually hooking me up with interviewing <laughs> the guitar player from Twisted Sister, really, who has a uh, who has a memoir coming about. Uh, I guess he's the manager. He was the manager of the band. Um, so it's going to be a discussion on, um, sort of a memoir of managing Twisted Sister. Stay so. Hungry was the first album I ever bought with my own money. What a scary bunch of guys they look like when we were kids, man. It's like, oh my God, this is like Armageddon happened. And, and it's like, what was that movie? Um, is it the Warriors? What, what was that movie? It was like a post-apocalyptic movie with a gang of people who were all like in fishnet outfits or something. It's like ridiculous. Um, God, I can't remember the name of the movie. Was it the Warriors? Was it the Warriors had you know the baseball gang and uh, yeah, the different the rival gangs? Yeah, it could have been it could have been that. Um, but I'm like, man, these guys are scary looking. And my mother, who was like so anti rock and roll and MTV, like 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 I want to rock would come on, and, and she'd be like, that's the problem with the world today, Michael. It's men like that. He's like, what are they, men or women? I'm like, oh, mom, you couldn't be more of a mom if you tried. That's even like, with their look the songs were just so catchy oh man they were great we're not gonna they're great songs yeah. they're great songs niedermeyer from animal house in it come on oh yeah <laughs> that was fantastic 
Excellent. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Og. I, I enjoyed being here and, uh, you know, I lo- love, always love talking music. So you could always distract me with, uh, with a Van Halen, uh, a Van Halen reference or, uh, I, I like how it was like 12 minutes of Van Halen talk before we got into your book. <laughs> that could be the most, the greatest 12 minutes of the episode. You never know. You never Excellent, know. Man. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. Mike's The Ruin of Souls is out now and do check out the audiobook of his All the Fucks I Cannot Give. And please do head over to The Quietus or if you're listening to this after July 27th, Bandcamp or any streaming platform other than Spotify and give Young Southpaw's Humpty Dumpty in HD a watch or a listen. Much appreciated if you do. And also it'd be great if you want to share this episode or subscribe to the podcast or rate and review it on Apple Music or whatever platform you use. My Nick Caves bar is also available everywhere online and in some great shops around the world. Much appreciated if you want to pick that up. Thanks for listening. Until next time. (laughs) 